0: I felt like I had kind of failed at being a grown-up. I had been bouncing around from different jobs, and I just, I had never felt settled. When Rose Travis was in her early
1: 20s, it felt like she was just fumbling through life. I was happy, but I, I wanted more. It was the early 2000s, and she thought going to grad school for writing would help give her a sense of direction or belonging, but really it just put her in more debt. Over a winter break, she decided to get away from campus. So she left Tucson and went to visit a friend in California. Everyone has that
0: crazy friend. She was the girl who always had different stories and they were always true, but you just didn't quite believe her yeah. sometimes. Like she would, you know, just say, Oh, you know, I'm recording my album now and yeah, I'm going to Europe for two days to meet someone about something.
1: Yeah, I don't have a friend jet-setting to Europe, but I get the type. Anyway, they were sitting on a porch, drinking wine, and Rose started opening up about her student loans, how she desperately needed a part-time job. Her friend perked up. She said, you know,
0: actually, um, I'm doing this thing, and I think that you'd be really good at it. Okay. And I said, okay, what is it? Is it a job? And she said, yeah, but, you know, you'd have to travel. And I said, "Okay, well, what exactly is it? She was being very mysterious. Mm -hmm. And then she said, you know, it has to do with gambling. And when she said the word gambling, what went through your head? Um, I was definitely not into it because, you know, I didn't have any money. You're like, (laughs) what am I going to gamble? Yeah, exactly. How can I gamble? I don't have any money. I just I knew it was mostly a losing proposition. But her friend kept going. She said that they had a system for beating blackjack.
1: I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. How we value money can change depending on the context. And when you're a high-stakes gambler laying down tens of thousands of dollars at a blackjack table, money takes on a whole new meaning. That day, Rose's friend introduced her to a world she knew very little about. Her friend told her she was part of this secret card-counting team that only recruits new members that they know personally and can vouch for. She said that if Rose mastered the system, she could try out for the team and start gambling with them. So she basically gave me a single sheet of paper, and she said, OK, just look, this
0: is the system you'd have to learn. Just, you know, study it, work on it. She just pulled out a piece of paper <laughs> yeah, from where? She had, I don't know. <laughs> she had it
1: in her pocket and or something. When she was back in Tucson, she started spending a lot of her free time practicing blackjack and trying to figure out this card counting thing. If you're like me, your only true reference to card counting is from the movie 21.
0: So it was some kind of a math club? <laughs> You ever studied uh, blackjack? Are you talking about counting cards?
1: No, I'm talking about getting very, very rich. In this movie, which I love, this professor recruits a bunch of whiz kids from MIT to play blackjack in Las Vegas. They spend all this time learning how to count cards, which is not an easy skill, and go on to win a shit ton of money. Basically, in its most simplest form, counting cards is a mathematical strategy. You assign a value to each card, and as you're playing, you keep a number in your head, adding and subtracting to it based on what the dealer hands out. That number helps you calculate what's left in the deck. So if the number that I have in my head gets really high, that means I have a
0: positive running count, which means that the chances that I'm going to get 10s and aces
1: coming out next will be higher. The MIT blackjack team that inspired 21 claims to have made millions from casinos. A Christian team from Seattle said they won $3.5 million in a few years. There's also this well-known player, Tommy Hyland, who apparently made a six-figure income from counting cards. But these are definitely the exceptions. It turns out card counting only gives betters about a 1% advantage. That seems wildly small. But if you're gambling over months and years, the odds of coming out on top are pretty good. After a couple months of practicing, Rose got invited to try out for the team in Las Vegas. And it was made up of regular people with regular jobs. Attorneys, accountants, musicians. Most of them saw gambling as a sort of side hustle that they took very seriously. It felt like this elite club, which Rose desperately wanted to be a part of.
0: I mean, yeah, it was it was like a club in a yeah. way. But
1: it was also kind of, it was a business. That weekend, Rose didn't pass the test. But not long after, she got invited again, and that time, she officially joined the business. A lot of card counters roll in teams with defined jobs. Rose, she was the spotter, someone who sits at the blackjack table, carefully counting the cards until the odds are tilted in their favor. When that happens, the spotter then gives a signal to the big player, who shows up and starts placing big bets. It's a well orchestrated scheme. Almost like this cloak and dagger, like you feel like you're a spy. Mm
0: -hmm. We kind of saw ourselves as these, you know, renegades. Like the casinos owe us this, you know, they're Mm. taking money from people every day, all day. And, you know, take it
1: back. Yeah, like someone's got to take it back. (laughs) Someone has to try. So, card counting is not illegal, but if casinos catch you, you can get what's called 86th. They'll kick you out. And if you come back, it's considered trespassing. You can get fined or spend a night in jail. Sometimes people's names and pictures also get shared with nearby casinos, making it harder for them to play. When Rose and her team would walk into the casino, usually four or five at a time, they'd come in from different entrances, take seats at different tables, and start playing. To communicate, they'd use signals. So
0: if I was smoking a cigarette with a certain hand, then that would be a signal. And so ours were very subtle. Sometimes it was just holding a drink in your hand or, you
1: know, crossing your arms. Also, I confirmed, like the movies, she'd wear fake disguises, including regularly dyeing her hair. And if anyone talked with her, she'd often give them a fake persona. I would sometimes say, like, "Oh, you know, I just sold a screenplay,"
0: and you know, I because I always wanted to be a writer. Aww. I would say, you know, "Oh, I just wrote a book," and you know, so I'd I'd project, you know, my sort of future ambitions, future fantasy lives onto um, what I was doing. And she'd often dress the part too. I would wear the fake wedding rings. You would wear a fake
1: wedding ring. Yeah. <laughs>
0: wow. Yeah, or a fake engagement ring. It helps to kind of you know wear jewelry and look like you. You have, right. you, have you have money. money. That's <laughs> versus, Yeah, that was the hardest thing for me was dressing and acting like I I had this money to gamble mm. with when I was actually just a student that,
1: <laughs> that shopped at thrift stores. She was just an English student with a lot of debt and a couple thousand dollars in her bank account. Rose grew up in a lower middle class family. Her parents were both teachers. And as an adult, money was always tight. I felt a little bit out of place. Not that I was lying to
0: people. I, I just, I never really mentioned, you know, I didn't really mention I, you know, I'm living on loans. I really need money because mm. that's not really something you want to talk about when you're gambling and there's all
1: this cash laying around. You you know, there's a level of trust that's sure. very important. Each weekend the team went out, they'd pool their money together, anywhere from $50,000 to $300,000. And according to how much each person put in, they'd split the winnings. Rose never put in a lot. After a long weekend, she'd make anything from nothing to a few thousand dollars. But on average, it was enough to start thinking about her winnings as a salary. It was her job. She hoped that by counting cards, she wouldn't have to rely on her student loans so much. That maybe she wouldn't have to decide between fixing her car's AC during a hot Arizona summer or paying her credit card bill. She dreaded the idea of having a 9-to-5 job after she graduated. And card counting seemed like an escape. They'd come up with this sort of alternative
0: lifestyle, a way of making a living that I'd never
1: would have thought of. That lifestyle meant shifting some of her priorities. Like, she didn't have as much time to date, she kept this part of her life a secret from a lot of her friends, and she'd schedule her classes so she could travel more easily. While sitting in the casino, she'd sometimes find herself thinking... I should be working on writing right
0: now. I should be working on this thing that I'm paying money for <laughs> versus spending almost every weekend, you know, looking at cards and
1: thinking of numbers. When Rose was gambling and sitting at the blackjack table, it was like shifting into a parallel universe where the stakes felt higher, but also exhilarating. It was her and her team against the casinos, which to her felt like the ultimate bad guys. They make people think they're going to win,
0: and then they're fleecing them, basically. I mean, they're kind of the biggest hustlers in the universe.
1: Coming up after the break, Rose places her biggest bet yet and gets into some trouble. Rose's first big break with card counting came unexpectedly. She'd been playing with the team for a few years and had built up a bankroll of about $10,000 to invest in the game. One weekend, she was on a four-person team headed to Reno when... Our main big player um, suddenly couldn't play.
0: I don't know if there was a flyer out with his picture on it, but he was kicked out immediately. So she stepped up. This is my first time being the big player.
1: The team rarely had women make these huge bets, it just drew more scrutiny. Rose knew that she'd get a lot of questions like, where are you from? Or where's your boyfriend? If she was playing alone at the table for hours. It's just not as common to see women betting thousands of
0: dollars at the blackjack tables. Do you remember like, what was going through your head? Yeah, I wanted to play well and not make any mistakes and you know, not let my team down and
1: I just I just wanted to see if I could pull it off. So Rose came up with a plan. She'd bet and her teammate Cliff would pose as her boyfriend. He would be handing me money and I'd be
0: playing and so maybe that would look a little bit less strange. That's so wild you had to think about all those things. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus. so and so we came up with this kind of and I was this kind of wild drunk like party girl. <laughs> um and I yeah <laughs> and I had this cowboy hat that I was
1: wearing it was three in the morning, and Rose, along with three for teammates, trickled into the casino, ready to play.
0: There's like tumbleweeds going across the casino, and there's maybe two tables, you know, going on.
1: And I walked up to one of them. She sat down with her fake boyfriend and waited to get signals from other teammates. Once she did, she started causing a scene, chatting up other players, laying down huge hands. And when you annoy people, it's great because then they leave the table,
0: and um, it's better for your odds when you have less people at the table. So, um... Oh my so,
1: god, this is so elaborate. So okay. the,
0: go- the goal was to annoy people. I was, you know, taking off my hat and swinging it around, asking, you know, who's gonna be drinking with me? You know, do you wanna get <laughs> drinks? Drinks are on me, even though the drinks are free. Cliff was playing the role of the frustrated enabler. You know, he kept kind of tapping me on the shoulder, like, let's
1: leave now. And that was the whole dynamic that we had come up with. Meanwhile, Rose only got more obnoxious, lifting up from her seat, downing tropical mocktails, you know, can't be drunk on the job, and shouting for free stuff. We need a room with a hot tub, and, you know, I need some a bottle of Cristal. It seems crazy to me that they'd intentionally draw all this attention to themselves, But Rose says it's kind of like reverse psychology. It can be less conspicuous to be a hot mess than a focused player. Rose is playing big hands, $500, $2,000. And it was just win after win after win. She noticed a floor man in the corner watching her, his arms crossed. But she kept playing. It was scary because I hadn't, I just hadn't dealt with like that much actual cash before in my hands. Counting cards had changed how she thought of money, like she'd never in a million years buy a thousand dollar dress, but she'd easily bet that much in a single hand. You have to kind
0: of distance yourself between the value of money and what you're doing with the money in the casino. Because if you if you look at it as, well, this is $5,000. Mm-hmm. Like, what can I do with this $5,000 in my life? Right. And so, it almost yeah.
1: sounds like you're treating it like Monopoly
0: money. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. I mean, in a way it is. It's like when it turns into chips, it's
1: not money. and It's just part of the game. It's part of the game, yeah. A game that can really suck when you lose, which happened a lot. Like that one weekend where she just blew $4,000 from her bankroll and the team lost way more. In those moments, she'd think, Why am I even doing this? I could have, like, paid off some of my student loans.
0: That's when it becomes, when you start looking at it as real money, when you lose, mm. um,
1: that it just hits you. You start to feel like uh, like a sick gambler. But in Reno, at that moment, she's not thinking about that. She was on a streak.
0: I was winning 10000 then I won 20000
1: and then I won 30000 <laughs> By 9 a.m., she'd won $40,000. She put the chips in her purse, and she and Cliff went to the hotel room the casino gives big winners to take a nap before hitting the tables again. I was thinking at that
0: point, like, wow, this is more money than I've ever made in a year. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it's more than probably my parents made in a year growing up, and I just won this amount in less than eight hours. And it's casually sitting in your purse? And it's just
1: casually in my purse. And then at noon... A knock at the door woke them up. It was like a bang, bang, bang on the door. Her friend opened the door, and six men pushed their way in. Rose says there were a couple guys in suits who said they were private investigators. There were also casino security guards and a guy with a big camera around his neck. She was still in PJs. They were really angry and said,
0: uh, you guys have to leave immediately. Pack your stuff. Get out. You're not welcome here. You know, I played dumb and my friend was like, what What did we do? You know, we're like your best customers. You gave us this suite. What's happening? And um, and then the investigator, he glared at me. He said, how much did you win? And I said, I don't know, about like 40000 And he said no one wins $40,000 playing blackjack. <laughs> my friend and I looked at it, looked at each other and we're like, what, like what are you talking about? Like they're trying to talk to us, but also this guy is here snapping photos as they're like almost interrogating us. And so but in
1: the back of your mind, you're like, oh my God, the chips are in the purse. Yeah, I was just thinking like the purse, okay, it's, it's there, no, they're, not, they're not looking through it. As they escort her outside, they tell her she's not welcome to play here anymore. And if she comes back, it'll be considered trespassing. She's been eighty-six, kicked out with forty thousand dollars worth of chips still in her purse. I said, "Wait a minute! I have to
0: cash these chips before you kick me out of you your told property." Them that? Yeah, I. He said, "No, no, you're
1: not going back in there." Rose doubted that another casino would cash out forty thousand dollars worth of chips that weren't their own, and she worried waiting a few months and trying to come back would look sketch. So she decided to go back that afternoon, and just hopefully another manager would be on duty. She brought her cowboy hat for good luck, walked directly to the cashier, and handed over her chips. The cashier started counting them very, very slowly. And then Rose, out of the corner of her eye, saw a security guard approach her. Then two, and then three, and then four. You know, I'm by myself. All my money is, like,
0: across the window of the cashier cage and um, they surround me.
1: Were you legit scared in that moment?
0: A little bit, yeah, I mean, because you don't know. Like, you don't know
1: if they're planning to throw you to the ground or, mm-hmm. you know, slam you against the wall. You don't really know. They handcuffed her and started leading her towards a door off to the side of the casino.
0: And I started getting scared when we were going towards the doorway because in the casino, you you know, you have the cameras everywhere and at least you have that. Right. But she had no idea what was behind this door. So as we were approaching this door... You make we're a run for through, it. We're No. We're, <laughs> we're going through this, like, bank of slot machines. And Cliff pops out, the, the, my fake
1: boyfriend. Yeah. He pops out from, like, a bank of slot machines. And he's like, what's going on? If this didn't already feel like the plot line of an over-the-top heist film, this scene definitely takes it there. Cliff was there to act as a sort of lookout, and when he saw Rose get handcuffed, he made a split-second decision. And he's like, what's going on here? And they said, are you uh,
0: Sam Cho or whatever his name that he was using? Mm -hmm. And he he said, so what if
1: I am? And then they said, you're coming with us. Smart move, Cliff. The guards handcuffed him for trespassing, too, then put them in a room with chairs that were bolted to the floor and had arm restraints. Rose and Cliff were strapped in and faced a dinky two-way mirror where they could see a group of security guards gathered. And then they
0: waited. And the worst part was, I remember, they took my hat. After they strapped me down, they took off my hat and they threw it on the ground. And I was just like,
1: man, why did you have to mess with the hat? I thought that was rude. A couple hours passed, and finally a cop showed up. Rose tried explaining what happened, how she needed her money— but he didn't care. He started writing up a trespassing ticket.
0: I always had these stories that I would tell about like, who I was and my profession. And so when he asked us directly, you know, what, what do you do for a living? And I kind of looked at my friend and I kind of, you know, I'm like, I don't want to lie to a cop the casino workers were standing right next to the officer and i thought well that you know the gig is up anyway so i just i just said i'm a professional gambler and that was the, that was the oh. first time i ever said that out loud it was surreal to kind of to be in that moment and to be admitting that or just owning the fact that i
1: now gambled
0: for a living and that was that was me
1: in that moment she knew there was a chance she'd never see that $40,000 after they were ticketed, the security guards walked them out, and... When they gave us back our belongings, they're
0: like, here's your money. Here's your money. Oh, and so you got the money. So yeah, it was all there, and I,
1: I sat there and counted it, because <laughs> I didn't trust them. She took the money, stuffed it in her purse, and then, without saying a word, she left. She had out-hustled the hustlers. Sort of. For Rose, this moment... It made her think more deeply about what she had gotten herself into, especially as she was sitting in that room just staring at her cowboy hat on the floor. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm tied to a chair, because I did my job
0: and I don't know what's going to happen. I started questioning myself and like, was, you know, was was I on the right path? Was this really something that, that was going to help me in life? Or is this something that is just going to bring me down?
1: They're the kind of questions almost anyone has had at practically any job. You know, did I make the right choices? Is this the kind of life I really want for myself? I don't know if there's a right or wrong
0: path, but this was something that I chose. And this is something that
1: I believed in. After that experience in Reno, Rose decided to keep counting cards. But not long after, the team dissolved. There was some drama, plus casinos got better at catching card counters, surveillance improved, facial recognition too. Today, years later, Rose has moved on from blackjack. She plays poker now. Once it gets in you, (laughs) once you kind of get a feel for it, um, part of it will always stay with you. Rose has been playing cards for almost two decades. And even though she's won money, it was never enough to be rich or famous. She's still working day jobs, she's writing a memoir, and she still has debt. Rose says she could have paid it off had she really wanted to, but a lot of her winnings, like the $11,000 she just won at a poker tournament, they go towards her bankroll instead.
0: It was more important to me to um, live the
1: way I wanted to, and I don't think I have regrets. It does surprise me to hear that she could be debt free today had she made it a priority. But I don't know, we don't always make the most practical decisions with our cash.
0: I think in every gambler, like whether we're playing with an advantage or not, there's a little bit of like they call it degeneracy, like a little bit of like you have this belief that you can make it into more. But I think of it as potential.
1: But even if you're not a gambler, it's natural to feel aspirational when it comes to money to think that maybe if we invest wisely or if we buy enough lottery tickets or ask for that raise in the right way, then we'll get more. I think it's tempting to think of your money as part of this larger game. A game you can hack and hopefully win. All right. That's all for this week's show. Uh, if you want to hit us up, you can reach us at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Rima Hres. This episode of This is Uncomfortable was produced by me, Rima Hres, Haley Hirschman, and Peter Balanon-Rosen. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Charlton Thorpe is our technical director. This episode was edited by Sarah Kramer and Nancy Fergali. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Muna Danish is our intern. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And theme music is by Wonderly. This is Uncomfortable is funded in part by the Sci-Sims Foundation, which supports advances in education, scientific research, and the arts. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. We are done until the next week comes.